This is Becoming Her, a podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. Well, welcome to the podcast, Becoming Her. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to um, get my story out there for everybody to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's important. That's why we're here. Um, And I know you don't want to use your name, so we're going to skip intros and just dive right in. So I usually just ask people to start... um, sharing their story wherever that makes the most sense for them. So it could be the beginning, middle, end, wherever you're most comfortable. Okay. Um, For me, the beginning of everything um, started in a small town where I grew up. And um, a lot of people here in Montana do tend to grow up in those small towns where they are trapped into certain situations. And the relationship started off as kind of a high school fling and... I didn't really think anything of it because, you know, I was young and a lot of us are when we get into these kind of relationships. And um, we ended up getting pregnant. So I moved out of my parents' house and I moved in with him. Mm. And then things kind of escalated from there. Mm. During my pregnancy, everything was fine and seemed very normal. And then after everything just changed. Hmm. I was very isolated. I was never allowed to leave. I couldn't see my friends. Um, The hardest part for me was not being able to talk to my family. Hmm. Um, He wouldn't let me call my dad. And if I was on the phone, he had me put it on speakerphone. And that was a really big um, turning point for me where I thought, I need space. Yeah. He was, like, monitoring your every move. Yeah. He was logged into my Facebook, Instagram, Mm. Snapchat, everything. So it was very hard for me to get away. Do you feel like um, once you had your baby that things might have escalated because you became more dependent on him because you were living together and you had had a kid together? Or what do you feel like that kind of, like, trigger for him escalating was? I think him not getting my full attention Mm. was a big thing where I was more focused on our child Mm. and trying to recover from everything. Um, He felt threatened in that kind of a way where he wasn't the main part of my life where I was completely devoted to him anymore. Um, But yeah, it was very different for me. So I asked him for a weekend away at my uncle's house, and I got one night, and then he came and picked me up, and that's when I knew, like, this is too much for me. I need to get out of state. I need to go see a family member. So I uh, booked a ticket to go to Arkansas to visit my sister, and it was all pre-booked. Everything was ready for me to go. And a week before, I was saying goodbye to my friends, like having a good good night. And I came home five minutes late. Mm. And that was the hardest part for me because he was drunk and he attacked me. And that was the first time that he had ever laid his hands on me. And it was very intense. Mm -hmm. And 
he choked me to the point where I threw up. Wow. And he called my family members the next day and told them all that I was an alcoholic and that I had a problem and that whatever I told them was a lie. So he was like preemptively trying to set the scene so that no one would believe you. Yeah. So when I went to visit my sister, I had no idea that he had called her and told her all of this. Got it. He called my father. He called everybody. And I had no idea. And then um, my sister and I were all hanging out. And she asked me, um, I can't even remember what it was. Like, she asked her husband if he wanted a glass of wine. And I was like, oh, I'll have a glass as well. And she was like, I don't think you should have a glass. Oh, and I, w- it kind of caught me off guard because I was like, oh. Well, and you didn't know any context, you know. It's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, sister. <laughs> and then she told me what he had told her. Got and it. I didn't want to out him, so I didn't say anything at first. And then um, it was 4th of July time. So I left my phone inside and we were all barbecuing. And he started texting me constantly like my phone was blowing up and she had walked past and saw it like dinging and so she clicked on it and one of the messages was very very explicit saying like you're a whore I know you're cheating on me you know you're not texting me back who are you with and so that's when she knew she came out and she asked me to come inside and she confronted me and said hey Like, this is a sign. Mm. Something is not right here with this guy. Has he hit you? And I broke down, Mm. started bawling. Didn't even need to say yes. Yeah. Her husband came in, and he was like, are you okay? And my sister was like, get out. Like, we need a minute. And they took my phone away for the rest of the night. And I'm very thankful for that because I would have been feeding into it. I would have been texting him back. Because there's fear there. There's real fear there. You know, it's not just about feeding him, but also just, like, self-preservation. Like, I got to text him back because that's what he's, like, conditioned you to have to do. Right. And so they took my phone away. Um, her her husband started uh, texting him via t- Facebook and was like, hey, Maria needs space. She needs to have some actual time to think about this. And my ex started threatening him, saying, like, you better put her on the phone right now or else I'm going to come down there and I'm going to come find you guys. And my my sister and her husband are both in the military, and oh they boy. do not take this very, <laughs> very... Wrong people to mess with. Yeah. yeah. So they kind of shut that all down really fast. And then the next day when I got my phone back, I turned it on. I had countless messages on social media everything from him his friends his family his best friend actually left me a voicemail saying that I was a terrible person because he was going to kill himself because of me I mean things got so intense that I didn't know what to do I was like oh my god like it's going to be my fault if he kills himself and I thought like that for a while, and then my sister was like, this is not your fault. Mm. He is like this because he's got a problem that he needs to deal with. And a lot of times threats of suicide are just that. They're threats, you know, and it doesn't mean that it's not scary. And it's hard. It can be hard to tell when you're the person on the other side of that whether or not you should take it seriously. Because what if, for some reason, you're like, oh, you're bluffing, 
and that person actually committed suicide, the guilt would be so intense. But I think when abusers and, you know, people who have control issues are threatening suicide, it's to keep that person in the relationship and make them feel responsible and guilty. Yeah, for sure. It was uh, very hard for me to get through um, because I did love him and I did have very strong feelings for this person that was making me feel like everything was all my fault. Right. And then um, finally, my sister helped me um, get in touch with some people, um, some therapists to talk with about it um, over in Arkansas. And it was really nice to get to talk to that group and be able to start my transition into thinking in a different way Mm. and then um he did come to arkansas he drove all the way from montana wow to arkansas with his friend to come find me and he knew my sister's address so i instantly got scared i had a baby with me um my dad lived in texas at the time so my sister drove me to texarkana and dropped me off at a gas station. She didn't know where my dad lived, so legally she didn't have to say that I was going to my dad's house. All she said is that she dropped me off at a gas station, and my dad came and picked me up, and I stayed in Texas for a minute, and he drove to Texas looking for me there. Wow. And... I was so scared because I did get a job in Texas. So I was like, legally, if he does have some kind of right to find me, he can because I'm in the system. Right. I have a job. And he didn't. And that was kind of relieving for me because I was like, he doesn't have control. And he's scared. Like This is him acting out. But that kind of stalking behavior is like intended to intimidate You know, and most people think of stalking, they don't think that it happens by someone you know, but that's, um, most stalking happens by a current or former partner. So most stalking happens after you've left the relationship, and then that person who has the control issues starts stalking because they can't let it go. Yeah, they don't have any more control. Right. Um, But yeah, I ended up coming back to Montana with my daughter, and um, things de-escalated and we were okay for a minute and then it all boiled back up during our custody battle a lot of things happened where he was trying to get back at me through um my mental health saying that I wasn't stable enough to have our child and then um my roommate at one point was friends with him secretly and I had no idea Mm. so she and him had concocted this lie saying that I was abusing my daughter and uh I got my daughter taken away from me for three months I I was devastated I had no idea what was going on I was calling the um the department for child services every single day for three months and then finally I got a call back and this lady was like oh yeah we just lost your file it was underneath a bunch of papers there's nothing here you can have your kid back so you didn't have access to your child for three months because they had lost your file yeah that is very traumatizing I'm so sorry it was super intense but I was able to forgive him for it um 
I was able to forgive that girl. Um, But it definitely did give me some trust issues with people. Oh, for sure. And friends. I, you know, uh, growing up in that small town community where everybody knows everybody, I ended up deleting a lot of people because they were friends with him and I couldn't trust them. Right. And it was really hard for me to, like, lose friends that I had grown up with. Well, and he clearly had a pattern of, like, trying to manipulate the people that you knew and cared about and loved to isolate you um, and kind of get back at you. And um, I also wanted to to point out with your story, I think it's really interesting to consider kids in all of this because that's just one other moving piece that makes it that much harder to leave or to really find separation from this person because you have a child with them. And they can continue to use that as a way to manipulate and control and... Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it it is tough. Um, I think um, for exes in these situations, when they are abusive in that mental state, they do like to pull stunts, whether it's intentionally or not. Right. Um, on my birthday, I it was my 21st birthday. I went out, had fun, and... That next morning, he calls me and says that my daughter had swallowed a magnet Whoa! over the size of a quarter. It was huge. So I flipped out. We had to go all the way to Seattle for her to get surgery. Wow. To get it taken out. And um, the way our custody was set up, I was supposed to have her right after the surgery. I was supposed to have her. It was my time. So I asked him, because he had the car seat and I didn't at the time, because I just flew over there. I didn't drive. Right. He drove. So um, I was like, can you drop her off at my hotel? Like, my boyfriend's going to be here in the morning with our car, and uh, we'll have a car seat then. And so he's like, yeah, no problem. So I get to my hotel. One hour goes by. And he's like, we're at dinner. Two hours goes by. I'm like, okay, what's going on? He's like, oh, we're at the store. Three Mm -hmm. hours goes by, and I'm like, what is going on? So I call my lawyer. She calls his lawyer. He basically is trying to drive all the way back to Montana with our kid. Wow. Without telling you. Yeah. And it's your time to have her. So I freaked out. Um, I called him, and I was like, you better turn around, or I'm calling the cops. Like, this is not acceptable. And she had just had surgery, too, so I'm sure she was very vulnerable. Yeah, and she wanted to rest. It's anxiety-provoking as a mom. You just want to hold your baby after that. Yeah, and I was freaking out. And then um, him and his mom showed up to my hotel, and I remember his mom was trying to small talk with me, and I was completely silent. And I was like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk to you guys. Like, this is too much right now. And um, his mother did play a big part of tension in our relationship mm-hmm. when we were together. Um, she she had mental issues of herself. And uh, she would start fights with me. She would get in my face and scream at me. And then I would tell him about it and he wouldn't believe me. Mm. He'd be like, you're making it up. You want my mom to be the bad guy. Like... You're just mad because I am very close to my mom. And I was like, no, I don't care about that. Your mom is being crazy. Like, she needs to 
figure something out. And then one day he witnessed it. He saw her, like, getting in my face and screaming at me. And she didn't know that he was home. And uh, he got in the middle of it. And then she started crying. Immediately changed to, yeah, yeah, to be sad. So hurt by what I had done. And all I had done at the time was uh, I I think she picked me up. And I was trying to get out of their vehicle. And I grabbed my bag, and she's like, I'll carry it. And I was like, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's my it's my bag, I can carry it. And she just instantly switched, and she was, like, screaming violently in my face, saying, I was trying to be nice to you, like, why won't you ever let me be nice? And I was like, I'm, it's a bag, like, if you want to carry it, that's fine. But, like, I'm also an adult, I can carry my own right, things. Right. Uh, but, you know, little things like that, she would just instantly flip about and uh I mean it's kind of interesting to see that there's like a bigger family issue happening here that might provide some context into kind of how that was passed on to your partner yeah exactly and then uh when right after I had my daughter I was very um I was a lot bigger I did gain a lot of weight during my pregnancy I gained 80 pounds so I was huge And, um, this lady would talk about it, like, in front of me Mm. to other people. She'd be like, yeah, Maria's overweight. And, Mm. you know, it made me very self-conscious to where I wouldn't, I wouldn't even eat in front of them. I wouldn't do certain things in front of them because I was so self-conscious about it. And, uh, he would, he'd be like, it's, you know, it's, you know, they're telling the truth. Like, you need to do something about this. And he, he wouldn't help me. Or tell them, like, hey, like, go talk about that somewhere else. Like, right, and you expect your partner to be a source of support and to build you up and not tear you down. So to hear yeah. that, like, echoed in your partner, who's kind of reinforcing these insecurities, is like, you know, that cuts deep. That hurts. Yeah. It was uh, very intense. And then uh, his sister and I did get into a couple of fights as well over little things, like her her leaving her her child with me. She would leave her child with me for weeks and she would disappear. And then I'd be like, hey, like, this isn't my kid. Like, I do love watching her and babysitting her for you, but, you know, you can't say you're going to the store and then not come back for a week. Right. (laughs) Like, that's not funny. She knows she's seven years old. She knows that you're not going to the store. Right, right. And uh, I don't know. That whole family dynamic was really weird to me. Um, they would all gang up against me um, because I was the outsider. Right. And um, I don't know how he does it now with his new girlfriend, but <laughs> I, I wish her luck for sure. Uh, but I don't know. Things are different, and I'm glad for it. I'm glad that I got out of it, mm-hmm. and I'm happy that um, – he seems really happy and I'm happy that he's in a good place as well. Yeah. Now it's the father of your child and you're trying to co-parent despite everything. Um, I'm kind of curious to know, like it sounds like that leaving process for you was just, it was that it was a process. Like it didn't happen very quickly. Yeah. Where are you kind of at with things now with custody or, and have things sort of settled down yeah, custody um, is good. We have, 
Right now she's not in school, so we're able to do a weekly switch. Okay. But now that she's going to be in school, um, we have decided that she's going to be with him during the school year. And then since we're so close, we can switch certain weeks um, depending on her behavior. Gotcha. But, um, yeah, it's I don't know. It, it is a process that leaving someone in that situation. And I got extremely lucky that I had a sister who has mm. gone through this before mm. and she caught it for me and she was able to help me get out of that. And I know a lot of people don't have that support from their family members. Right. Or families try to support or they think they're supporting and helping and they're actually making it worse or they're, you know, um, isolating that person. I hear a lot of survivors talk about like how their family gave them the tough love sort of approach where it's like it's it's us or or them you know and then it just makes them feel more alone but it sounds like your sister really knew how to be there for you which is amazing and your dad yeah I definitely got very lucky with my dad as well um supporting me through that whole situation um I don't know I think it's uh the way that I grew up because my father was also in the military So he also knew trigger signs and things like that. And he did have a feeling when I wasn't ta- like calling them as much or keeping in contact. You know, those things, talking to your family is a really big thing. And having them be a part of your life is really big. And if you let somebody get in between that, you know that something is wrong. If you're distancing yourself from the people that you love most for one person. Right. So they were kind of cued in that something was off. Yeah. And my dad had said something to me before he left. He had said, like, you know, be careful. I want you to, you know, call me if there's anything going on. Right. And I will help you out. But that is so embarrassing because I was 17. Right. 17, 18, like, you don't want to call your dad and be like, hey, I need help. Right, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, you were just trying to make it on your own and kind of show everyone that you could handle it, and that's tough. So you ended up back in Montana. Things are kind of smoothing out for the most part. Um, What has kind of the aftermath of that relationship meant for you, or what impact has that had on you? I've noticed that... um... I have I have leaned towards people that are like him oh, in certain ways. Yeah. And it definitely freaks me out, and I know that I need to change. Um, my last relationship was very emotional, mm. like emotional um, distress. Like he would blame me for things that he did. Mm. Uh, I would always get the, oh, you're crazy, you're... You know, you're crazy for thinking that. Mm. You're crazy for thinking that I cheated on you. And then I find out that he cheated on me. And he's like, oh, like, I'm so sorry. Mm. And, you know, I don't know. I've, it's definitely a personality trait that I've picked up on in people now that I can see. And I've learned to stick with my gut feeling now instead of pushing it away and being like, no, that's... Maybe I am crazy. Maybe I am just some crazy girl with crazy feelings. Maybe I'm just being emotional. But it's not emotional. Like, 
sometimes you just have to go with your intuition. Yeah, absolutely. And um, everybody feels insecure, I think, and everybody can, you know, feel like they second guess themselves. So when someone you care about and trust is then kind of reinforcing that internal doubt that you already have, it just makes you believe yourself even less. And for you to have gone through, you know, such a volatile relationship at such an early age, I mean, that's like a very foundational experience that's going to help, you know, shape a lot of the relationships that you sort of get into from that moment on, you know, that's a lot to go through at 17, but it sounds like you're kind of coming out on the other side and getting stronger and learning how to trust your, your own voice. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of girls, um, get in that situation very early on and they don't know how to get out of it. And, um, I don't know, it's just so crazy. And in our town here in Montana, there are a lot of um, murder suicides going on here, mm-hmm. and it's it is a very big topic that I think has been pushed under the rug. Yeah, um, we live in like a very safe place in general. We don't have a lot of you know gang violence or petty crime, but abuse is happening. It's happening here just as much as it is anywhere else. And just because people aren't seeing it out on the street doesn't mean that it's not happening you know, all the time. And I think that's a really hard concept for people to wrap their heads around. Yeah. I'm very thankful for the people that I have in my life now, the friends that I have made throughout this journey, because at first I didn't have anybody like anybody to talk to about it. Um, in, In my small town, everyone would say that it was my fault and that I was the problem and that I was the crazy person and that they had heard all these stories about me and um finally I just decided to not associate myself with people that decided to think like that and Mm. made new friends and everybody has seen what is actually going on right what has actually happened which is super validating And to have that community and that support system to build you up after everything you've been through is so huge. Um, So I'm I'm curious to know kind of what things are like for you now. Things are good. Um, They're looking up. I've definitely learned how to express myself in different ways. I do art now Mm -hmm. and I like to paint when I'm in a certain mood and I need to just express how I'm feeling And I feel like that has really helped. Like, if you don't have a way to let your feelings out, you're just going to go crazy. Mm. And, you know, whether it's sports, working out, um, you know, art, anything, like a hobby of some sort is always so helpful when you're in that situation because you don't know what to do with your mind. You're constantly thinking about, that relationship and what's going wrong and what that person is telling you you're always thinking about them Mm. when you need to start thinking about yourself and getting over that hill and to have something like art that's all your own it's like your voice kind of manifested in a different medium and it's a way to express yourself and it's your it's you it's your individuality completely outside of this relationship and this other person what and it's like such an incredibly safe way to express yourself that's really cool 
Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I am not artistic at all. That would not be (laughs) helpful at all for me Um, as a way to settle my mind. I would just get pissed and probably punch through the canvas. So I'm, I'm always like really, I don't know, inspired when people can find something like that to help their healing. Um, Yeah, so I guess I'm just gonna kind of wrap up by asking you, and I, I like to ask this to everybody who's on the podcast, if you could give some sort of message um, to a survivor who might be listening right now, what would you want to tell them? I would want to tell them to not think badly about yourself mm. and to not think that you are damaged because you're not. Things are going to be okay and everything's going to turn around in the future. It takes time. Everything takes time. And we all need to heal in certain ways and sometimes yours is a little bit harder than other people mm-hmm. but you're gonna get through it and you just have to keep pushing through those boundaries that everyone keeps putting up for you mm, I like that a lot thanks yeah <laughs> yeah um well if unless there's anything else you really want to share or kind of let the listeners hear then we'll kind of wrap up um Not really. I think I'm good. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.